If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm chapter 133, and the title of today's message is Together. If you guys do not have notepaper or you are new here, I've seen a lot of new faces. Um, if you're new, uh, we take notes here. So, you will... Yes. And then if you guys can do us a favor after today's service, if you can return us your pens so that we can sanitize them and have them for the next service. But Psalm 133 is where we're going to be today. All right, so you need your Bibles, you need a note paper, and you will need a pen today. It is good to be together, is it not? Yes. Isn't that what, something that you guys have learned over being away from everyone? Yes. It, it is good. It is something that we often take for granted. Have you guys ever heard of the phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder? No, no? It's, a good, it's a good phrase. Think about it. Absence makes the heart grow fonder or... Uh, to like that thing more, meaning that when you're away from something, that's when you realize, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much I liked that thing. I didn't realize how pivotal that was in my life. And we've been experiencing that right now. You see, so often you and I take for granted things that are repetitious in our life, meaning if it repeats itself over and over again, it just becomes the normal and how hard, but how good was this season for all of us to make us realize that being together is better. You know, there's something about a reunion. There just something is. Uh, there's something about uh, being together, and not just being together, but being united together. Have you guys ever seen those military reunion videos? Those are awesome. If you haven't, you can turn your eyes to the screen for a moment. see there's something that just hits your heart, right? That just in that moment of seeing a video, you're like, oh my gosh, like that, that, it is amazing. And there's something about the reuniting of, to, of people together. And today's been sweet. It's been sweet seeing you guys so far, but how much better will our reunion be in heaven? It's going to be, I don't think there are, are words on this side of eternity to describe the reunions that are going to take place in heaven. 
Now today, we're going to look at a psalm that is about being together. It's Psalm 133. Hopefully you are turned there. Before we pray and read the text, I want to give you two pieces of important background information, okay? Uh, to help us not just dive into it, but understand it a little bit more, okay? So number one, if you see in your Bible... Um, most Bibles will have at the top, it'll have a title of the psalm, but then it'll also have something that says something along the lines of a song of ascents of David. Okay, this, this gives us two pivotal pieces of information to unlock the meaning and understanding of this psalm, okay? Number one, the first thing that we know about this psalm is that it is a psalm in a collection and category of psalms known as the Pilgrim Psalms. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pilgrim Psalms. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, Pilgrim Psalms. This is in the category of those Psalms, okay? And why are they called Pilgrim Psalms? Well, back in the day, people from all over Israel and even other countries would at different times, one to three times a year, travel to one place. Anyone know what that one place was? More specific than Israel. Jerusalem. They would travel there for different feasts that would be held there. And now Jerusalem is situated in such a way that no matter how you go to the city, you're going to be ascending, meaning you're going to be going towards it. That's why it's a song of ascent. And, uh, and just the mountain ranges, Jerusalem, even if you're coming from the south, you're going to be going down and then going back up because of how Jerusalem is situated. Now, maybe you remember the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, where his family traveled down to Jerusalem from Nazareth, and then they leave him behind. You guys ever remember that story? If you don't, you should read the beginning part of Luke. It's hilarious. Uh, and, and why were they going down there? Well, they were going down on one of these pilgrim journeys. People from all over Israel and all over from different countries would travel down, and it would be this joyous, exciting celebration. And this is one of the Psalms that they would sing on their way. I mean, from Nazareth to Jerusalem, we know it's a three-day walking journey. And so imagine walking for three days. You'd get pretty bored. And they would have songs. And it'd be an exciting moment that this would be one time out of the year that they could go and be together. Um, one of the historians named Josephus says that there could be up to two to three million people in Jerusalem at one time. And this is thousands of years ago. This was a very exciting, exciting time. And this psalm could potentially be one of the psalms that Jesus himself sung on the way down to one of these feasts. The second thing we know about this psalm is that the author is David. It's of Davidic authorship. Okay, that's a fancy word for today. Hopefully I don't get any more fancier than Davidic authorship. Um, some commentators believe that this is that David wrote this psalm at the end of that civil war. Remember those years that, that David was running away from Saul? You guys remember that? Uh, years, right? He was running away from Saul, even though he was already anointed king by Samuel. Well, there comes this moment where Saul dies. And so now there's this realization, David's going to take the kingship. And, and this divided country now all of a sudden comes together for the true anointing of David, where he takes not just is anointed, but takes on the kingdom. Where for so many years there was discord and division, at the death of Saul, there was an opportunity for unity. 
And so that is the background into this psalm that we're going to get today, okay? So Psalm 133, and we're going to read verse 1 through 3, which that's the whole psalm, and then we'll pray. The Bible says here, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. God, we thank you for being back together. We pray that you would impress upon our hearts, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would emboss on our lives what you want for us. Lord, sometimes the easier thing is doing it alone in the short term. Lord, but would you show us the value of each other as we see all throughout your word how you love the gathering together of your people, that you actually listen in on conversations when you're talked about, that you write them down, you say in Malachi. It's an awesome thing. So Lord, go before us. We ask that you would be our teacher today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I got three main points today that are broken up into the three verses that we just read. Pretty simple, okay? Number one, uh, you can write down if you're taking notes, uh, togetherness, okay? Verse one, togetherness. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What's the very first word of verse one? Shout it out to me. Come on. Behold. Behold, it's a marker of attention. It's to call emphasis or to take notice of. It means that what is about to be said is not common, that it's worthy of admiration. When you see the word behold in the Bible, that means you want to stop, you want to pause, and you want to really look at it. And you'll find this word all over the Bible. Think about the New Testament and think about the kind of the Christmas story of Jesus. Remember those times where the angel appears and he's like, behold, or uh, when it's described, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream or behold, the star which they had seen in the east came to Jerusalem. You see, those become normal because, because we see the chronological order so close together. But these were markers of something abnormal, something rare, something to behold. And he says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You see, to dwell together in unity is not just being together. It's not just coming together, but rather dwelling together. Do you see the difference? Not being, not coming but dwelling together in unity. We see an example of this in Nehemiah. You can note it down. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse one. You guys good? Yes? Okay, Nehemiah eight, one says, now all the people gathered together as one man. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean they like climbed on top of each other to make this like superhero, this giant man? No. It means that as they came together, in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra to bring out the book of the law, that they were unified. They all wanted the same thing. They all desired that same thing, and that was to seek the Lord. And they came together as one man. 
You see, isn't it? Man, I don't know what's wrong with my voice. So excited. Isn't it one thing to be together and quite another thing to be united together? There's a difference. There's a big difference. Let me give you an example. Think about this season of being home with your family. Just think about it. With everyone together, all the time, not going anywhere. Isn't it hard to be in unity at times? You're together, but there's a difference. You know when things are going well, and you know when things are divided, right? You know it. And we're bound to get each other's feathers ruffled once in a while in one way or another. But what we must not mistake unity for is uniformity, okay? We can't mistake unity for uniformity. Unity doesn't mean we're all the same in every, in every way. You see, unity is not that everything is the same or that would be uniform, but rather there is a difference. The Bible says that we are a body together, but members individually. Let me give you a verse. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 and 6 and 27 says this, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Okay, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Meaning we, are, we have one thing in common, but it's not that we have everything in common. It's that in our common cause of Christ, that there are differences, right? You're not the same as me. I'm not the same as you. And that's good. That doesn't mean we're, we're not in unity. It means that we're not in uniformity, okay? We, we don't fit the same exact mold, but that's good. That's a good thing. There is a blessing in the diversity in the unity, okay? Hope you guys are following. We see an example of this in the book of Acts, Acts chapter four, verse 32, which I love this verse because it speaks of this community that they had. The Bible here says, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Notice that description there, were of one heart and of one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things, what's the word, in common. It means that there was this community, that there wasn't this selfishness. You see, selfishness destroys community, it just does. But you see, the reason that they were able to have a be of one mind and one soul, and that when they came together, it just was right that they were together. You see, the reason sometimes when it feels wrong when we're together is because there's selfishness involved. There's sin involved. You see, but in that, in that act of, of just, you know, what, what my, what's mine is yours, right? Uh, what is it? Sukasa, mikasa, sukasa, whatever. I don't know. I'm white. But you guys understand what I'm saying, right? It, it's, that, it's that community, and that builds community, and that builds unity and togetherness. And the Bible says here, how good and how pleasant. Look back at verse one in your Bibles. It says, how good and how pleasant this is. This is a great description here, good. Guess what it means? It means good. It means desirable, positive. It means how good in and of itself that it, that it promotes happiness and it diffuses goodness. And it's good. And you know how it's good? You can tell by, you can see the season that you're apart and it's bad. And then when you're together, 
it's good. How pleasant. This means favorable. It's enjoyable. That there's something beautiful and attractive about being together. There just is. You know, Paul really understood the importance and the blessing of unity within the body of Christ. I want to read to you. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but I think it's worthy of us looking at. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 through 6. And you can read it on the screen as I read it. Okay, he really understood this. He said this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with low, excuse me, lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, notice, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And notice the unity here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. You see, guys, unity is something that we must work at, endeavor towards. Our natural tendency is to be divided. It just is. That when you come into a room, you're just looking for only who you know. But you, think, you see, the thing that is different about the Christian community is that I could travel to a different country and go to a church and I could feel a connection with them. That there is something beyond physical, even togetherness within the Christian community. And there is a, because, it's because we're family. It's because we have something deeper than blood and it's spiritual that we are connected by one God, one spirit. And that's why I can come up to you and I can say, I love you. And I can say, hey, I want, I want to get to know you and I don't even know you. And that's why in this room and at this church, it, it should be like that. But it's uncomfortable. It's something that we have to work at. It's something to endeavor at. It'll often, I'm everyone look at me. It'll often be easier to isolate yourself rather than gather together. You see, right now, it's so good to be back together. However, in months and years down the line, the excitement, the streamers will go away. The, do the donuts might not be here. I'm never wearing this shirt again. And the excitement and joy can fade away. But will you be faithful to stay together? See, so you, you might not believe me now, but there's going to be a moment that you don't really have an option or you have an option to come to church. Right now, I'd say most of you, I'd say most of you probably want to come most of the time. But you, you have that pressure from your parents. It's like, that's what we do. We go to church. It's Sunday. We're going to church. Trust me, I know because I was you and I just a little bit further down the road. There's going to be a moment where you don't feel that pressure anymore. And it will be easier to isolate yourself. It'll be easier in the moment to not gather together. But long term, you will miss out on the blessing that God wants to bless you with. And I'm telling you guys right now, there is a blessing about being together. I see so many people my age that have faded away from the church that I grew up with, that I sat not in these same seats, but in seats similar and they, they just, they don't have the pressure from their parents. They really never established a relationship with God. 
And so they're away from the Christian community. And it never results in a good thing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as, a day, as you see the day approaching. You see, God gives us the command to gather together because he knows we're going to want to stay home sometimes. But we show God obedience when we come and when we gather and when we not just have the, the mind of, okay, I'm just going to go, but when we have the mind of God has me here and God wants me to endeavor to keep the unity, meaning that means I'm not just focused on myself. You see, when you're only focused on what you and yourself, then you're not going to find community. And I know each and every one of you want that. I know there's a lot of new faces in here. Each and every one of you want to come in here and you want to make friends and you want to find community. Well, it doesn't happen by looking at yourself. It just doesn't. And it doesn't happen at home. And it doesn't happen just coming in the room and sitting in the corner. But that will be the easier thing to do in the moment. But long term, you will regret it. And so if I can exhort you today, if I can encourage you don't let the, the pattern and the repetition of church just fall right back into way and into the pattern it was before. You see, we must remember that this season of obvious isolation, we must remember this. And we must remember that it is not good that man should be alone. God has designed you to be with other people. You know, you might say, well, I'm not a people person. Yeah, you are. You are. You are. God has designed you to be a people person. If you're not a people person, heaven is going to be a bummer for you. But I often find people say that when they're not a people person, it means that there's some insecurities going on in the inside. It's that they don't have the community that they, that they desire. And the only way that you're really going to find true community is through Christ. It's not through any other means. There's no other gathering on earth that will satisfy you as God has designed God's people to bring community to one another and satisfy the longing of our souls. Now, in our text today, in verse one, right, talks about unity, that we know unity, togetherness is a good and pleasant thing. But he doesn't just stop there. The psalm isn't just one verse. There's two more verses, right? Yes? Am I mistaken? No, two more verses, okay? So in the next two verses, uh, he gives us two word pictures, okay? And these will be our next two points. He gives us two word pictures to help us understand of the blessing of togetherness so that we can behold the blessing of unity and really get it, grasp it, and understand it, okay? And I want, I want you to let this, give it a chance and let it sink into your heart, okay? Uh, point number two, verse two. Uh, precious oil. The, the first word picture he gives us is precious oil. It says, it is like, meaning talking about togetherness, unity, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. Now, if you're like me, when you first read that verse, you're, you're like, what does that mean? Why, why is there oil? Why is it running down a guy's beard? Why is, it running, why is there so much that it's running off the edges of his garments? And how is this like togetherness? 
It's very confusing. Well, I did some research and study because I didn't know either. I'm like, I know God laid this passage on my heart to share with you guys. I'm like, precious oil running down the ear. Okay, I had like some thoughts, but this is, this is confusing at first. So I want to give you guys three points of clarity very quick uh, to what this means. Okay, number one, this shows us that togetherness is precious and rare. Okay, this shows us that togetherness is precious and rare. It says that it is precious oil. It the, means the best and the finest valuable. Now, this is confusing because this was written thousands of years ago, and we're not familiar with this custom as we should be. You see, but in the ancient Middle East, it was very common, a, a common courtesy to anoint one's head with oil. We see examples of this in the Gospels. Maybe you can think of some of the women that came and it says that they anointed Jesus with oil or one lady even put it on his feet, which was very rare to do. Maybe you can think of some of those. And this was done to kind of refresh that person who was coming into your home. It'd be the same kind of thing that when you, you know, someone comes over, you say, oh, can I get you a drink of water? Oh, make yourself at home. Oh, you want to sit? Oh, do you want something to eat? And you make them feel welcome. Well, one of the ways that you'd make someone feel welcome is that you'd have this oil on hand. Think about like olive oil in your house and not to cook with, but you would use it to actually kind of pour on someone's head a little bit. I know it sounds funny and weird, but think about it. They didn't have showers like you and I do. And so guess what people smelled like? Bad. They smelled bad. And so they travel on dirt, gross roads, smelling, and they get to your house, and they don't smell too good. And so oil would be something refreshing from their trip. Oil would, would usually have perfume, kind of like essential oils. Your moms have essential oils, okay? Imagine, imagine if you got olive oil and put some essential oils like lavender, okay? That's the kind of thing that people would have on hand. But you see, the oil that, that is talked about here in verse 2 is not just normal oil, it is the oil that would customarily be used for only one thing, and that would be the anointing of the high priest. You can find this in Exodus chapter 30, that there is one oil, then, and, and you can look in Exodus 30, and it gives you even the ingredients in that oil. It's like cinnamon and uh, a couple different things, sugar cane, and some different things they put in there to make it smell good. Where there's this moment where the high priest would be anointed, a thing about Dave, King David being anointed to become king, it was a sign that we'll see more in a second of, of, of kind of anointing to go and serve. Um, and this picture of unity shows us that it's not the norm because the oil that he's referring to is precious and rare. It was only to be used for one thing, and that was the holy anointing of the high priest. And it might sound weird, but it gives us a picture. It gives us a picture that being together and having true unity is not a common thing. It's rare to find. And, and that it is extremely precious and not to be taken for granted. All right? Number two. Uh, this shows us that unity and togetherness is joyful and abundant. Why do I say that? Well, if you were to look at Exodus 30, where they kind of give that prescription for what's in that anointing oil for the high priest that's only used for one purpose, very rare, very precious, 
you would see, like I shared with you, that it's made of abundantly fragrant, fra- fragrant and sweet-smelling aromas, such as myrrh. Do you guys remember myrrh? From, remember that was given to Jesus? Really awesome thing. Cinnamon, sugarcane, and many different others. And this would be, it was special because of how it smelled. You see, they didn't have back then that you could walk, you and I now, we can walk into a Bath and Body Works, right? And it's like, we get any smell we want, even gross ones. Um, but think about it, which this oil would, would in turn cause great joy because back then they had a lot of bad smells. And so when you smelled something good, it was really good. Like for example, have you ever smelled something completely amazing and it changes your entire mood? Like you're like almost kind of like mad or kind of like, eh, this is like eh day. And then you go to the mall and you smell Wetzel pretzel and your mom actually buys it for you that one time. Oh, it's amazing, right? Or, or cin- Cinnabon in the mall. It doesn't taste as good as it smells. That's for sure. Or what about fresh baked cookies or, or this is something, this is, I don't know why, you know me, me and food. But anyway, I'm wearing a donut shirt. Home Depot. If you ever gone to Home Depot, it smells amazing in there. Fresh cut wood. But right, isn't it easy? Like, as soon as I even said Wetzel Pretzel, you're like, oh, this is a great day. You haven't eaten it. Right, but can't smells cause joy? Well, I think that's another aspect of what the psalmist David would want us to get. He's describing, he's giving us this word picture. Isaiah 61 verse 3 says, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, and notice the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There's a couple other times in scripture that oil is referred to as an, is that, that God wants to give an oil of gladness or oil of joy. And notice too, if you look at verse two, it's a weird picture. I know there's, there's a beard. You can think about my beard and oil running down, but The picture is that it's abundant, that the blessing that comes from being together is overflowing. It's unmatched anywhere else. You see, this gives us the picture that unity is is an enjoyable and joyous thing. That's how God has designed it to be. The third thing is that it is holy and anointed. This This oil picture gives us the idea that it's holy and anointed. And it's kind of like what I shared with you, that it was only to be for one purpose. It was a very special occasion when the high priest or the next one, the one in succession, would be anointed. And this oil would then make way for the service of God. Remember, there's nothing necessarily special about the oil, but it was what it represented. Oil in the Bible always represents the Holy Spirit. It just does. There's, there's word pictures that were given in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit is represented as oil in many different occasions. And right here, no doubt, oil is represented as the Holy Spirit. And you see, the priests back then were to be God's representatives on earth. In a similar way, you and I, as, you guys, as we are together, we are the most unstoppable force on earth. I know it doesn't feel like it. We're like, well, that's junior high kids. Yes, the body of Christ. And we in turn, together, you and I represent God to a broken world. And when we are in true unity and true, what is everyone wanting right now? Peace, justice. People are wanting things to be made right. 
You see, they're wanting a community that works together, that doesn't judge people based upon anything at all. People want that. But the only place that true unity is possible is when the oil of the Holy Spirit is present. It's the only way. Because the Holy Spirit deals with sin and selfishness, which is, the, is, the, is what causes division. It's what causes discord. And you and I might take being together for granted, yet it is holy to the Lord. And God uses the gathering together of his people to impact the world. But you might not see that on the day to day. And in the short term, isolation is easier. But there's nothing better than gathering together. You might not see the effects at first. And that's where we get to the third word picture, which is descending dew. Honestly, this one's almost weirder to me than the oil, uh, but that is because of how far we're removed. Yet the picture is cool. The picture is very helpful to us to understand what the psalmist is trying to communicate here. He says, it is like the dew of Hermon, which is a mountain, by the way, in Israel, descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, if you're anything like me, when you're reading this, you're like, I don't get what this has to do with being together. Well, Mount Hermon is a place in Israel that is very green. It's very moist. It's probably the moist, most moist place in Israel. You see, most of Israel, if you've been there, it's kind of like California where there's awesome, luscious places, but there's also a lot of desert. You guys know California has a lot of desert, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's kind of similar in that way. And so it's very distinct because Mount Hermon is literally still to this day known for having a very rich and thick dew. You guys know what dew is, right? That's like when you go outside in the morning and there's like water on stuff. That's the dew, right? Or the grass. It seems like it rained, but it really didn't rain. That's dew. And Mount Hermon is known for having very rich and uh, thick dew. And people reported on that very mountain that they'll go out with their tents and they'll camp. And then when they wake up in the morning, have you guys ever been camping? You know, when you wake up in the morning and it didn't rain, but your, can't, your tent is wet. So that happens sometimes. And it's been reported, even if you go to this mountain and you camp there, it's going to feel, your tent's going to feel like it rained all night because that's how thick the dew is there. I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> You see, dew is often called and compared to divine favor and blessing from the Lord. It's weird. I didn't know this, but I'm going to give you two verses. Proverbs 19.12. Proverbs 19.12 says, The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. You're like, it's a big deal, dew. I've never even thought about that before. The more I say it, the weirder it sounds. Like Mountain Dew? No, not Mountain Dew. Hosea chapter 14, verse five, 4 and 5 also says this. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. Have you guys ever been outside on a very foggy morning and you can almost witness the dew begin to settle on stuff? You guys ever seen that? You know when it's foggy? You know, it's like, it's like you're in a cloud, right? And then it settles and then it makes things wet. But isn't in that moment where you can, it's like foggy, isn't there like a freshness? 
Like, it's like you can breathe, and there's like this crispness to the morning. You guys know what I'm talking about? You, like, come out of your stuffy house, and then it's just like, oh, the morning. It's so crisp. It's fresh. You see, yet do... Do is one of those things that as actually science has increased in knowledge, we know, you and I look at it and we're like, do. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just going to school. I'm just doing this. But science actually has found out how vital do is to our environment. Do actually forms a protective barrier on the leaf, um, which basically enables the plant to be able to retain more moisture in its cells and be more resilient in hot and dry conditions. Interesting. Fact number two. As dew evaporates, it cools the plants down in much of the same way that evaporating sweat cools your body on a hot day. This reduces uh, heat stress in very hot environments. Number three. Some species, especially desert plants, can actually observe, absorb water directly through their leaves. For these species, dew is a direct source of hydration. And you're like, I don't, I don't get it yet. We're almost there. It is a descending dew, meaning where does it come from? It comes from above. Dew is represented as a blessing from God. Yet dew is one of those blessings that you and I might not think about. It's one of those blessings that we take for granted. Yet how often are God's blessings missed because they come so silently? They come so unexpectedly. They come so gently. And you might only notice them over time. You see, it's not like you've ever seen dew announce itself in the morning. Right? It's not like, I'm coming. I'm coming down. I'm settling on the plants now. And I'm giving nutrition to the plants, and it's good. This is good for plants. I am good. I am due. You've never seen do, do that. And in a similar way, <clears throat> I don't know what's going on today. In a similar way, the blessing of togetherness might not be seen in the moment. But if you commit to what God has asked you to do to gather together the blessing is seen over the long haul. You see, it's been said before that dew is not a surface blessing. However, its vitality goes to the roots of the plants. And sometimes God's blessings are unseen because you and I don't see the instant change to our situation, but yet they refresh and they renew our lives without us being aware. You might say, well, I went to church once and it just didn't do it for me. Get it? Do it. But I'm telling you, as someone that can look back on their life and has committed myself to gathering together of God's people, and there is blessing that you will not find anywhere else. And it is what, how God wants to fill that longing desire of community. It's not out there, it's here. But it'll be difficult in moments in the future to remember that. And how true this is of us being gathered together in unity. And finally, he says, and the Lord commands the blessing. Look at the end of verse three. I love that. The end of verse three says that the Lord commands the blessing. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm gonna bless you. No, he commands the blessing. Deuteronomy 28 verse eight says, the Lord will command the blessing on you and your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. 
This is a blessing that God will ensure that you have. And there are an abundant amount of blessings right now as we dwell together. There just is. But the blessing of being together doesn't stop here. You guys know that? It doesn't stop. It extends into eternity. Read Revelation. In the end, we're going to all be together, those who follow Christ. And this is what God wants for us. This is what God wants for you. This is the community that he wants you to be acquainted with. And this is actually the exact thing that Jesus prayed for for you. Did you know that Jesus, when he was on earth, prayed for you specifically? You want to see? John chapter 17, praying for you very specifically. He says, I do not pray for these alone, meaning his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Guess who that is? That's me. That's you. We believe because of the disciples' word. And he says, this is, this is his high priestly prayer. And he says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us and the world may believe that you sent me. God wants this. God desires this. But he doesn't desire it because it, it benefits him. He knows how much it benefits you. And so the takeaway today is twofold. Are you ready for him? Takeaway. Number one, do not take for granted the gathering together of God's people. It is good and it is pleasant that we not just be with one another, but that we strive for unity with one another. That means getting outside of our comfort zones. That means thinking about other people when we come to church. Most people, they come to church and they actually try to find a church by what benefits them. They see, okay, how, how does a preacher, okay, yeah, I like him, he's funny, I'll, I'll take it. Okay, worship, yeah, not too corny, I like it, not too loud, but loud enough. And they come to church and they think, does this fit me? But rather, when you get older and whether you stay at this church or another, the question you should be asking is, where do I fit in this church? And there is a place, but are you thinking that way? Are you looking that way? When you come to church, are you only looking for the Snickers bar and the snack bar? Or are you looking, okay, I wonder if there's a new person. Okay, God, I'm just going to commit. I'm just going to say I had at least one new person today. You see, the blessings on this side of eternity are overflowing, even if you might not see them. And I want you to remember this time of being away. And I want you to remember them and keep them. Ask God right now to put them down deep in your heart for the times that you don't want to come. The times that that you feel hurt by someone else in the church. Those times will come. But you must remember this. The second thing, and as we close, don't close your Bibles yet. Don't move around. You might be with us right now. Well, you are right. I, I know you are. You're here right now with us in this fellowship, in this community. But will you, and this is the question, will you be a part of the fellowship that we have in eternity. It's a somber thing to think about that there are churchgoers who are blended in but never became a son or daughter of the king and will end up in hell apart from our Lord and apart from us. That's the reality, is that there are 
churchgoers. There might be you right now who are right now on a pathway to destruction because you do not have Jesus as your savior. You've blended into church. You've gone to church because of your family. You're here not because you necessarily would choose to, but this is what your family does. It's a custom, but you have not seen change in your life, that you have not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit to, to change you, to transform you, to make you into a new creation. Well, I want to encourage you today that church right now, the community that we have is only a preview and a foretaste of what it will be like in eternity. And so I want to give you an opportunity. Alex, you can come out. You can hit the lights. I want to give you an opportunity. No one, no one moving. No one talking. No more playing. If you don't know as a matter of a fact, I meaning you can tell me I will be with you in heaven, Joel, because I can tell you that without a doubt in my mind, with all confidence, I know who my father in heaven is. And I know that he has said that he will complete the good work in me. And I want you to have that confidence. I don't want you to have the false assurance because you're together that you're going to be together there. It's not true. You have to make sure that you are together with him, that you become his son and his daughter and he adopts you into his family. And let's change that today. See, the gospel is clearly, and most of you have heard it many times, the Bible says that as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. It's not enough just to believe in God. There must be a moment in your life, and whether you can remember or not, that's fine, but you have to be able to point back and say, this is where I made my faith my own. I believed in God, but this is the moment where I received him as my personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says that we need to admit and confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior and in need of forgiveness. The Bible says that we must believe in our heart what the work of Jesus was on the cross, that he came 2,000 years ago that he came for you, that he lived a life of sinlessness, something that you cannot do because you've already sinned way too many times. The Bible says that he went to the cross enduring the shame for the joy that was set before him, that he could consider the cross joy because he had you in mind. And the Bible says that he died on that cross and he took upon the wrath of God that you deserve, that I deserve the Bible says that he was then buried and three days later, he rose again, reassuring his work upon the cross, reassuring our resurrection. And the Bible simply says the simplicity of the gospel, that if you and I, if we put our faith in him and we trust him and we, com and we commit our lives to him, we confess that we need him, the Bible says that God comes into our life, that he seals us with the Holy Spirit that he makes us his never to turn his back on us, that we are now not just his servant, but his sons and his daughters.